Welcome to the Chatterbox with your host, Nicole Parchani. On this episode, I'm chatting with my homegirl, Haley Grayo. Haley is an American global citizen and has spent a large portion of her life living on Island St. Martin. She's lived on the island for as long as I can remember that I honestly thought she was a local. In this episode, we chat about her journey to the island, our experiences being a part of the Caribbean public speaking scene, her career in the service industry, and her new project being the host of Honey on the Radio. It's so interesting. I don't even remember when we when we met each other, but like I swear once we met, we were like in each other's life, like in so many different organizations. So many different it was crazy. Ways. Like everywhere I went, Haley was there. <laughs> it was so great. It was so great because I was like, oh, thank God I have someone with me for teen times. Like when I saw you in teen times and then debate and then interact and moot court and everything, I was like, okay, good. Like this is this. Is yeah, I swear. Like good. we've traveled together so much. It is insane. And it's like, it's not even something that I would have ever had predicted either. But yeah, we have like traveled the Caribbean, like to Europe and like all, yeah, even Puerto Rico. Where you, yeah. Did you go on the, yeah, I was going to say like the Puerto yeah. Rico trip. Like there's just, that is so insane. Like you, I feel like were definitely a huge figure in like public speaking and debate Aww, in like that whole arena. Thank you, know. you. Yeah, like, because I mean, when I was there, you know, when I joined all that stuff, like you were already there, like you were already like a part of it. Wait. But, you know, it, you know, it was also too, Mr. Arendelle was like pushing me to feel like that because he's like, listen, you had Jackie boss you around the year before you had this happen the year before you're the veteran now, like you don't need to like take no shit from nobody. And I think it kind of got to my head a little bit, but also like the pressure that they used to put on me was ridiculous, you know, because all yeah. I wanted to do was just freaking win. And I was like, why don't we just go yeah. and have a good time? They're like, no, you have to win. You have to No, practice. we got to win. This. And I was like, shit. But it didn't dude. even matter. It, it didn't did even it. matter because it was all rigged. Like, it didn't matter. So it's like, no matter how hard we trained, it was rigged. So it was like, there was it no was, point it was to it. And Moot Court in Holland was rigged too because they thought, hands down, we won. But because it was our first year in the competition, they didn't think that we deserved to win, which is why we got third place. Which is still I agree. Bullshit. We bullshit. definitely got played. That was like, I was really mad about that because like we were definitely the winners. Like it was obvious. There was no comp, like we were the best team and they just could not let the American team not win. So yeah. like we got booted. Was weak. That American team was Yeah, so we beat weak. them. Like we literally crushed so them. I remember sitting We crushed there with both Erica. of them going over the arguments as you guys are going over and I'm writing my notes to her and I'm like did they just say that like did that just happen and they still won and like you, you know when you're a spectator you can't react visibly you know so we're always there exchanging notes back and forth on our legal pad and I was just like fuming I was like upset I was like this is so ridiculous like they didn't even know what they were talking about half the time they just no. sounded really nice that's the whole shit. But even still, like our argument was ironclad. Like you, like we crushed that shit. Like we, we were that team. And it's not even like that we were being cocky. We were literally that team. Like we went in there. Nobody knew who the hell we were. We were like, it was our first time there. And literally after the first day, every team knew about us. We were so we fierce. Were that good. But you know who the fiercest yeah. one on our team was? Listen, Ariel had the fiercest look out of all of us. Every photo. Ariel took, has that do not fuck with me face. She had that don't fuck with me face for real. And I was like, wow. Like 
even I remember I was sharing photos with Mike for my moot court article and he was like, wow, that's an intense stare down. You know what I yep. mean? Intense. Ice cold. Yeah, man. And I don't know, like, our, I loved our team. Like, I loved our defense team. Tati and me and Ariel were the squad. Like, I enjoyed being a part of moot court so much. It was so much fun. And I feel like we were like a family, which we was really what made it fun. Like, it yeah. wasn't a competition for us. Like, we were having fun. And as part of having fun, we were also just also the best. <laughs> but no, I definitely, yeah, Moot Court was definitely an experience. And it was. It I, was. I really loved it. Like, I, I, it made me want to be a lawyer, but then I just couldn't do it. I couldn't. I couldn't. In the long term, I just, like, I knew it, it would be so complicated because, like, to do law on the island, you have to know Dutch. And I was like, well, that's just too much. And then if you go the American route, then you like have to live in the States. Cause like, what are you going to do with an American law degree on a Dutch Island? Like you it know, just doesn't you, work. You'd be surprised because I, I meet a lot of people who are lawyers, but they don't study or practice Dutch law and they live here and they do more consulting work than anything. Mm. Because especially the expats that come down here, it's like, they don't trust a local lawyer. Unless it's like a local friend that they've known since they've been visiting the island for a long time. And this local person's like, hey, this is the lawyer that I use. You should go and use them. So like for me, I said to myself, I was like, you know, I want, I think I wanted to study that because I thought it was making my parents happy. And they were like, oh, thank God. She doesn't want a bar. She doesn't want a restaurant. She doesn't want to bartend, you know, because that's kind of like the path that most of the people in my family, if it's either you go work for Caribbean Liquors or you open up your own bar and restaurant. Yeah. And so me, I was like, I'm argumentative. I like arguing. I like, I, I was like, I don't have the, the patience to see blood and I can't be a doctor. So I was like, oh, let me do law. You know? <laughs> and then when people started saying, oh, you're good. You're good at this. You should do this. You should do that. You know, that's when um I started getting like picked to do more stuff. But really it was teen times that put me out there because I remember Mike would have me speak at certain things where he's like, oh, Haley, take it away. And um, then it was Mr. Arundel who saw me at school and academy one day. And he heard me speak for the morning announcements. And he's like, yeah, come to my office. I have an opportunity for you. And it was my birthday that day. And he's like, we're having a debate meeting at my house. And then he started telling me all the different names of the girls on the debate team. And I was like, oh, I know those girls. I used to go to LU with them. So when I walked into the, the meeting, you know, everybody was like, oh my god it's Haley and then they're like oh wait how did Haley get here how oh so Mr. Arundel's starting to look at kids from other schools now huh so it was like this really it was this you know when catty girl it literally was like mean girls debate edition I shit you I swear it low-key there was tons of drama in debate (laughs) low-key oh my god like it was it and you know I said to myself I used to carry that anxiety from from debate I was like oh god please don't let this happen at moot court don't let this happen anywhere else and you know it's just like it happens inevitably I think when you're in that environment and everybody's under pressure and you're kind of like taught to compete against each other but they won't say it outwardly they'll say it only to you in private it it plays with your head a little bit. It really does. Like it, uh, oh, I don't, you know what it's like to be the one who was very um, low effort, but still would just like show up and be like, oh, okay, no problem. I'll read this done. And then everybody was like, that was too easy for her. Why does she get to do this? Why does she get to do that? Like people used to get upset at me. 
But wait, let's back up. So I know like when when I left the island, you were moving to New York to do like a whole tra-la-la. So can, can, like what was it for you when you like, because like, let's, like, let's first go to New York and like come back before we come back to how you got back to the island and into your radio show, which is freaking lit. Like tell me like what was it like when you moved to New York? Because like for me, like moving to America was definitely scary. I can imagine like when you just you were like deuces, I'm out guys. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. Bye. Like it, it was a really bad time in my life because my parents that's when they really were going through the divorce. And I was kind of always in the middle of their problems, like from a very young age. So at like 17, 18, I was like, okay, I'm kind of done doing this now, you know, and then I got hit with some really big family news and then it made sense why I couldn't like get all the scholarship stuff that I needed because me, I was trying to get to Holland. I was like, okay, I want to go to the University of Leiden. I want to get this thing going. Like I was very motivated by uh, moot court and I thought that taking IB would have been the easier route for me because I knew that I didn't do so good in my CXC and I didn't want to stay in academy for two more years and do the law program there. So I was like, oh, let me go to IB. I go to IB and it's not what I thought it was going to be at all. It was a lot of fallacies and false promises and stuff like that. Because what they do is they, they took the IB program and then they modified it to the Catholic school board. So the classes and the things that you needed for certain things to get to your, like your, your higher level and your lower level classes and your diploma, they just would omit it. You know, they'd omit certain history lessons. They would omit certain things and you're like okay well then i'm not getting the full isn't that idea. censorship it is you That's know like and, literally censorship and then they tell the kids at the saint dominic school that they are the only ib program in the caribbean and then you meet kids from ladc and other places and they're like we have a ib program in antigua we have an ib program in grenada you know so you're like, oh, okay, so, like, this is how the foundation, like, the, it's starting to crumble. Like, so when that started happening, and then I was re I was receiving a lot of backlash from the school board because they're like, oh, your grades aren't good. You can't go to moot court. I was like, excuse me, who the fuck are you to tell me I can't go to moot court? I was the best speaker of St. Martin moot court, and I can't go there, you know? But that's also the kind of, like, that was when the start of, like, my ego was kind of, like, starting to sink in, and I was kind of, like, I remember Miss Rich said to me that um, I was a star. I was a shooting star and I was burning out, you know? And I felt really disrespected at that moment. I was, like, 18 when she said that to me. And I was like, who the fuck is this bitch telling me I'm a burning star and I'm having my 15 minutes of fame? I was like, literally, I stopped showing up to school after that. Stop showing up to school after that. The teachers Stop. are rude, man. I so swear. Rude. The teachers on the island are so rude. I, I stopped so showing up rude. to school. I um, moved in with the boy, the guy that I was seeing, which was my six-year boyfriend. I moved in with him. I was like, yeah, I'm going to drop out of this program. I'm going to do this competition and do the St. Martin uh, debate LADC and then figure it out. And he was like, okay, cool. I have a job in New York. I'm moving to New York. So I just had that in the back of my mind. I was like, oh, if I want to go, it's an option. But then as moot court passed and then uh, St. Martin LADC passed, I still wasn't happy. I still was like, I need to get out of here. Like, I, I really want to go. And he kept telling me, he's like, you know, I'm going to New York. It's happening. Do you want to come with me? And I was like, fuck yeah, I want to go to New York. Let's go to fucking New York and get out of here. So I got a job as a teacher's aide at the school that his sister worked for. And then he was working for Juilliard. You know, we picked up side jobs. We would walk dogs on the side. 
was a very nice and uh, glamorous, low, like, not spending a lot, but still having a great time. We had an Airbnb. I feel like living in New York is just a vibe. It's the vibe. It really was. New York vibe. It was, you know, so we started off in Upper East Side. We were there for a couple months. Then we went all the way to fucking Brooklyn and Canarsie, which was like the little Caribbean village over there. We were there for at least like six or seven months. And then we moved to Williamsburg, which is like the the first stop right outside the city. And um, we were sitting nice. I, I remember I was walking, passing the Vice office every day. I was like four blocks away from Vice. I was right underneath the bridge of South Forth and Kent. And it was a great experience, you know, just being in the city every day, taking the subway, going to a different spot to have lunch, meeting up with your significant other after work and going through the park to walk and stuff like those. Those moments were the best. So I long for those New York moments because honestly, living living in St. Martin sucks. Living in St. Martin fucking sucks. Why does it suck? The money sucks. Like- the... the because listen, like, okay, you, I'm sure you're making serious bank working at Microsoft, right? In New York, I was bringing in like at least five, six, sometimes seven grand, depending on how much time I worked at the school or like how many other side jobs I could get. But here, dude, I work two, sometimes three jobs. And radio, it's commissions-based. So, of course, I took that big leap of faith, you know, taking on more time in a job that doesn't bring in more bank. But here in St. Martin, if you're not working a government job or if you're not, like, part of a upper echelon of a company here, like, you're not making shit, dude. You're not making shit. Minimum wage is still three ninety five after taxes. Like, even my restaurant Yeah, jobs, I saw, I like, some posts where it was, like, $4.90 or, like, it's I don't Is that even... Sick. I don't think that's Gilders, but that's ridiculously low. Yeah. Like, I couldn't imagine working for it's, $4.00. And like some Four. some places, like if you spent a long time there, then after every year they'll increase your wage by a dollar. Oh my god! But wow. still, like a dollar, it's it's bad. Like unless you get into like real estate or you get into a job with sales and you're selling something that is of the essence, and that you know yeah. with your eyes closed it's gonna continue to be selling. Like you're you're hurting here, and that's why a lot of people here they turn to doing other things and selling and gambling and doing all the things that they think is going to bring them quick cash but the for me i took my bartending job for granted in a bar in one week three days i just needed three days give me the slowest days let me work by myself let me work the tables alone and i'll make my rent i used to like make my rent the first two weeks of the month working in bars and restaurants but now i'm just paycheck to paycheck still holding on to my stimulus money i still have like a couple hundred bucks left and every month i'm pulling the out. island paid out stimulus money or like are you talking about like the american oh the american no money. the american one i couldn't qualify for the island stimulus because my employer hasn't been paying taxes on me so they couldn't verify <laughs> they couldn't verify that i have been working all this time and i was like listen i'm literally the mascot of this restaurant i'm in every photo every video i've i served you and your wife like three weeks ago for dinner and you mean to tell me that I'm not working there? And turns out what my boss did is she gave everyone an on-call uh, contract. So nobody is insured. Nobody gets service charge. Like, it's so, like, you're getting screwed with out Vaseline type of shit. And it was ridiculous. And even the, the American money government that they gave came it, in clutch. 
Dude, they came in so quick. I, I, I got the, I signed up right when the second check went out. And I was like, yo, thank God for that fucking stimulus check. Like, seriously, <laughs> thank God. Even, yeah, just thank God, literally. All my siblings. Did you get like, all three then? Or did you only get the first two? I got the last two. The last two. So you didn't get the first one? No, I didn't get the first one. I didn't. Well, that's okay. Money, I still got something. Something is better than nothing. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. It, I it, definitely, like, I'm, I mean, Amer- at least America, I feel like at least they have their shit kind of together. It's, like, a little bit, you know, trashy over here right now, but it's all good. Like, I feel like on St. Martin, it's just, like, I don't know what the hell has been happening, but it just seems like things continue to get worse, and, like, nobody, like owns up to it like everyone's like living in some delusional bubble that i'm like y'all like this is a really dangerous situation that we're in and i don't see us doing anything to get out of it like it just seems to be getting worse and worse you know me i'm low-key hoping that they send one more stimulus check just one more you know just like let it be like something of like a thousand dollars you know, this is for the people that still haven't gotten off their ass and haven't gotten stuff happening. It's okay. This is the last time we're helping you. This is the last one. I, would get that I mean, you could get unemployment, couldn't you? I mean, because I guess, you're not employed in America. I mean, but here's the thing, right? Like, I, I don't want to take that risk. And then they see that I was employed here. And then I get myself into more trouble. Because it's not to say that, like, I'm not employed. Like, I'm on the radio, you know. If somebody wanted to type my name in, and do a deep dive on me. They but it's find- different because, like, you're in a know. different country, though. I mean, because the local banks here now are starting to ask me for my social security number. So I'm like, oh, okay. Here? Yeah, I mean, I mean, on the island? Yeah, yeah. I, I feel like that is none of your concern. I, I, I used to say to the same that. thing. And then they're like, okay, well, you had this bank account opened up when you were 16 and you used your local ID. So we're not going to take it away from you. It's a local checkings account, but you can't have a savings account on St. Martin until you uh, give us your social. And I said, fuck that. I don't Why? need a savings account because um, all Americans have to declare the monies that they make. Uncle Sam, if you got a barcode. Wait, wait. You- I know you have an American passport, but you also don't you have a Dutch passport? I didn't choose. So when I when I turned 18, like my parents had no foresight. They were like, oh, she's going to go to the States. She's going to do this, you know, and then. I'm American. So I'm in this process right now where I'm trying to reclaim my Cuban rights and I'm trying to be naturalized Dutch because I never changed. But you, weren't you born on the island? No, I was born in the States. I was born in the Wait, States. Wait, then when did you move to the island? 2008. I swear you have always been on St. Martin. I swear I heard, you were a St. Martin born and bred. That. Everyone thought that because me and my cousins, we all look so alike and I just. I kind of like jumped into line and kind of got with the program faster. But yeah, no. I feel you because like I grew up with Emily, so I just assumed like you were there too, and I had just not met you had the not other Grails. You know, you know? <laughs> like I probably like everyone thought that either I lived in St. Bart's the whole time, and then my dad decided to move over to St. Martin. Then people thought that we went to French side school, or my parents just had us homeschooled. And I was like, no, we this is like our first time being on the island in ten years, like. Our parents, especially my dad's side of the family, they all left the island in the 80s. They were like, fuck this place. It's a plaid place. There's a lot of drugs and crime. No, it's no good. 
still there. <laughs> and, yeah, it's still there. And it's like still every, there. And it's funny because my dad tried to do his internship after he finished high school in the States for the liquor company here, our family company. And my dad just like wild out. Like he wild the fuck out. He was 20, 21. He had like a 96 little Wrangler, classic little dune buggy style type shit. And my dad one day got into a really intense car accident, like right there where the uh, roundabout is coming down Colbay Hill, right where the roundabout was. So it wasn't even there anymore. Remember when it was like the three street division and he had to choose which Yeah, side. I remember. Yeah, you know, like, I miss that. I low-key like that more. Dude, it was but, so you know, dangerous, whatever. but yo, like for real. And It was. <laughs> and my dad like totaled the shit out of his car, flipped it upside down, got out of the car oh, like shit. nothing, walked out, walked home, found a ride <laughs> home. And, like, literally looking at the wreck, you shouldn't have survived. Like, you should not have survived. And my dad was like, yeah, they had an intervention with me, and then they sent me back to Florida, and then I went to Gainesville, and I went back to school, you know? And and every time my dad would come back to no the island, no biggie. <laughs> you know, every time he'd come back to the island to try to like live here again and ha- start life here again, something crazy out of the source would happen. And then it just came to a point where my family was like, "Yeah, no, I don't think I don't think you should be here. I think your life should be over there. You know, I think your wife and everything that you're looking for, you're gonna find over there." So he went back to the states and he met my mom and everything, and then they got. So your mom's also American or she's Cuban? So my mom's Cuban Puerto Rican. She's a first generation American. Her mom was Cuban, full blown, and her dad was Puerto Rican. And mm. um, yeah, so so my mom That's is definitely awesome. very super duper Cuban, but she's also very. I didn't know all of this about yeah. you, girl. I swear you were from the island. Like I really just thought you were like Emily, just another Grayo that's just been here this whole time. Yes, yeah, so I it's only so had funny. just met you. It's that funny, is funny. Yeah. So wait, so where is your family like stay in America? Like is it in Florida? Like most of your family is mainly in Florida. Florida. So, like, my mom's side of the family is in Miami. Um, Right before Trump got elected, my grandmother uh, packed all her shit and moved to the Netherlands. So my dad's side of the family that was in Florida now all live in Holland in the same house on a farm in the middle of, like, nowhere, like, five minutes from the German border. And then um, my mom, after the hurricane, she didn't go back to the States. She moved to the Netherlands and she took all the kids with her, too. Because they all have Dutch passports. So she's like, I'm just going to go to Holland where I know my kids get access to rides and benefits. And I'm just going to ride these like wheels out. Because over there they have this, uh, the Chavez Act. So like if you have family members that are Dutch, but you're not Dutch and they invite you to stay with them, they're not going to kick you out of the country. You know, they're like, that's your, clearly that's your mom or that's your dad or that's your next of kin. So you're allowed to stay here. So that's how my mom was able to stay in Holland. nice. Yeah. yeah, no, that is nice. I swear the Dutch are, they low-key friendly with their immigration, but they also not friendly. They're so just very like, angry because they had such an influx of immigration after the 2000s, you know, and then they're like, okay, we need to stop offering all of these services. We need to stop doing this. We need to stop doing that. Like when I used to Let's live Stop in Holland, letting them in. Yeah. <laughs> Because we, what we did it's like, um, you did conquer and destroy a lot of these countries to begin with, but you know, let's just pretend like we didn't Let's just gloss over that and act like that never happened. You didn't colonize half of the world. It's okay. But it's funny because, um, after my parents had my sister and we were like in our third, fourth year in Miami, my parents were like, okay, we're going to go to Holland. We're going to open up a bar. 
We went to Holland in 2000, 2001, right before 9-11. And my parents had a bar. We lived upstairs at the bar. I was three, four years old. So from like three until seven, we were in Holland. I spoke full-blown Dutch. I thought in Dutch. I used to work in my parents' bar. I would like serve little beers. I'm like, well, you having beer show? Yeah, I'm having beer show for you. You know, like cute shit like that. And like we were super Dutch. We were completely Dutch household my mom spoke the language but we still had a lot of Latin influences at home you know because my grandma would come and stay with us every so often and this and that and then when Holland wasn't working anymore and after my parents had my brother we were like okay we're gonna leave which kind of sucked because Holland did take care of us like my mom was living there they have this program called Kinder Baselack in 2002 they would give you 400 euros for every kid you had so my mom was getting like 1,200 euros a month for just having us. And this money was so that you could buy the kids the clothes that they needed for winter. Yeah. You could pay for their tuition in school. You know, you could, everything that you need to take care of your kids. Yeah. This is your just like basic child allowance. care. Yeah. And that shit was nice. When we moved back to the States, my mom was like, oh my God. I forgot how fucking hard it is to live and how hard it is to take care of yeah, the kids. Yeah, America, and- they're like, you're on your own, okay? You're like, you're figure own. it out. It's if like- you're lucky, we'll give you food stamps. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, the air the air of, like, uh, like way of being is different. Like, everyone is very relaxed in Europe. You know, like, it's yeah. okay. I love that about Europe. You like, know? I love that about Europe. Like, it's more family-centric more we care about our neighbor more about like let's have a good time let's live a good life and also have you know some capitalism in there whereas america's all like work work until you die literally go to school (laughs) be in debt until you die like literally hamster wheel yeah it's just like it's just constant chaos and stress, but also at the same time, America is lit. I love it here. I love the people here. I love the craziness. I love like the opportunity. But yeah, it is definitely a shit show. But one, the whole world wants to watch. So they doing some right, right? Like that is true. You know, and I have to say, like, I'm glad that I am an American because I feel like that sense of spirit and energy that I have is definitely different than those of my fellow caribbean sisters and brothers but then at the same time it's like you can just dip what you mean you could literally just be like okay i'm done bye-bye now but at the same time i feel like they program you to be this type of way when you're from the states like they program you to think okay you're deadbeat if you don't go to college and if you don't get a good school like good go to a good school and get a good job and if you're not making six seven figures a year you ain't shit and all of that stuff, you know, so it was weird because I came from a I very, think there like, are people that think like that. But I, I, oh, I also I, think I still, I've met people. I still think like that, too. And then I have to remind myself that I'm not in that circumstance and that I can't allow myself to feel like shit because I'm not where I think I should be in life. Because, like, when I stop and I, like, reflect, I'm like, okay, you have a roof over your head. You pay your bills. You don't live with your parents. You have a fucking radio show. You have all this opportunity. Yeah. And it's like exactly people constantly remind me. There's a lot to be grateful for. Exactly. So it's like people remind me like, okay, don't feel like shit because you don't have a college degree because despite that, you're still a very intelligent being. I don't think you should feel like shit. Like, I don't think that just because I have a degree that I'm better than anybody. Like, I still think that I don't know shit. Like, even with my college degree, I still think like I'm a dumb 
ass you know what i mean and so i definitely i feel like one thing i realized like because there are people that treat people that way like if you don't have a degree if you don't make it but when i came to the states like i met so many people that had different lives or just different situations and like even like dating will exposed me to a lot of just like how other people's lives and circumstances sometimes really just you can't do anything but try to make the best out of your situation and you cannot like treat people as lesser than just because their life didn't go according to some picture perfect timeline that's unrealistic and also like stupid like every, humans a hundred years ago weren't doing what humans are doing today and so it's like just looking at where your you know ancestors were to where you are today like there is so much to be grateful for but I feel like social media and all that shit makes it hard and it makes you feel like a fucking failure when it's like there's no reason to feel that way like you should be grateful like there's so much to be grateful for so much. I also think that social media like imposes like impossible standards that we think that we have to live up to and maintain and even now, like, I feel it in the radio world because I have other fellow creative people telling me that I'm not doing enough. I don't take enough photos. I'm not doing enough uh, social media shoots. And then they're like, yo, Haley, like, you should be putting a video out every week. You should be putting all the highlights of what you do from the radio world together and then put it together with your radio show highlights of, like, when you do a thought from the honeypot or when you do a certain segment. And I'm like, yeah, you're absolutely right, but that creative process and planning it and like really fucking planning it out and getting people to be on board with you and see your vision and not want money from you and trust the process with you exactly it's, it's exhausting it's, it's it's a lot it's exhausting like i get so defeated every time i start thinking about like wanting to approach my boss to do a certain thing in the studio because i'm like oh i got this idea i want to do can I have a photo shoot? And they're like, no, you can't do this. If you don't, if you do this, then everybody else has to get one. It's like what one gets, all the other personalities have to get. And he's like, that's great if you have someone that wants to shoot for free for you, but I know that's not going to apply to all the other personalities. And I don't have 50 to $75 to pay per person to have a 45 minute yeah. shoot and get three photos edited. And I'm like, you know, so it's like whenever you think about wanting to do things for yourself, and for your brand and stuff, then you're like, oh, I can't do that. Like, okay. Let it's me. a lot. It's it a is lot. a lot. I feel you. I you feel remember, you. like, how in Teen Times, my whole thing was like, oh, Mike, I want to model. Let me model. Let me. And Mike was like, no, focus on writing. You're a writer. You're not a model. <laughs> you know, it's the same shit that's happening to me in Radioland. Like, my, my mentor will tell me, become a really good radio personality first. And then worry about DJing or worry about Photoshop. Or worry about being an on-camera talent. And I'm like, but don't you know? I say fuck it. I say do it all. I'm like, like I, say, I can do, do it, it all. all. Let me Why do not? it all. And Why not? Like, but get really Why not? good at one thing first and before you do another thing. Because like I started doing DJ I lessons. disagree with that. I do too. I feel like I, that's for some people. I don't agree with that. Me, I, <laughs> I was, think you could do whatever the hell you want whenever you want. It's just how bad do you want to do it? And it's like, if you want to do it, why can't you do it? Like, it's exactly. the only thing stopping you is you. Is you. So right? I, yeah. I, his mm -hmm. whole philosophy is like, oh, you're spreading yourself too thin. And I'm like, I'm not spreading myself too thin. Maybe I, you're spreading yourself too thin. You don't know, talk maybe, about me. You exactly. don't know what my capacity is. Exactly. It's like maybe you're self-projecting the fact that you don't have any creative space to do the things that you want to do. But just because I have the time to do it, that doesn't mean you should take it out on me. 
It's like I I'm at the radio station seven days a week. Literally, I'm there every single Wait, day. Wait, what got you into radio and like wanting to start a show in the first place? So you want to laugh? You want to hear something really funny? They found my yeah, debate, sure. They found my debate video from Saint Kitts, the one that we had the first round, and they saw my debate video during lockdown. And my fellow colleague Marlon from the bartending restaurant world was like, oh, that's my good friend Haley. She is over here at Palapa Grill. She did debate and speech for years. And then they're like, okay, bring that girl here. Let's let's bring that girl in for an interview. But tell her that she's getting a sales rep job. Okay, no problem. I showed up to the radio station one day. And they're hanging out with my colleagues and we're just talking and we're getting to know each other. And unbeknownst to me, my boss is in the back room listening to me the whole time because they said that he was out doing errands and stuff. And then my boss is like, who is that girl? I want to talk to that girl. So then I go and I introduce myself and he's like, oh, okay, cool. Do you want to take some radio tests? We go into the studio and there's like a simulator where you do radio tests. And I like pass flying colors, like nonstop. And then he said to me, my boss is like, okay, I have six other interviews I got to do today. And I really, I don't want to see those people. I would like to give you a radio show. Do you want a radio show? And I'm like, fuck yeah, I want a radio show. You know, because I was getting ready to weigh out. Yeah. I was weighing out my options. I was like, okay, you can't live off of your stimulus check forever. You can't couch surf and depend on people forever. You're going to run out of money. You're going to have to give up your apartment. You have to do something. You know, you're going to have to go to Holland and start over. So I was coming around to the idea. I was about to wave my white flag and call my dad and say, yeah, dad, I'll take you up on your offer. I'm coming to Holland. And then I got offered a radio show. And I said, fuck it. I want this. Like, I I want to do radio. I I really wanted to do podcasting. I had said for a whole year that I want to get into the podcast sphere. I want to start talking to people. I want to start making videos. Like, I want to do that. Yeah, And then for this to happen in the similar vein, but for radio, I was like, yeah, I want to do it. And I was already like working on this like honey brand thing that I had going on because I was already honey on the beach on Instagram. And I wanted to open up a restaurant with my significant other. We were going to call it honey at the farm and stuff like, you know, so there's a lot of things that were were spawning off of this honey concept. And then I said, fuck it, honey on the radio, honey on the radio give me that and we made the poster it was awesome yellow backdrop with the classic 1950s microphone and then the little drip of honey coming off of the side and I was like listening that makes you feel good that's my tagline I was like I want to do chicken noodle soup for the soul things that make you feel good happy-go-lucky mellow yellow positive inspiration I was like yeah it's time to heal yeah. the nation with good vibration and good radiotherapy yeah you know? people so need that people need that and like I still I've maintained that through and through you know even some days my boss is like are you sure that you're equipped to talk about this kind of stuff you're still learning about this like who are who are you to be talking about living in the present. You can be wise at a young age, exactly. okay? Again, why are we putting limits on people? Exactly, you know? And then he, it, it took him a while to come around, but then he's like, you know, like, you have a brand. You have a legitimate brand. Like, you talk about good stuff, even though sometimes you have your little soliloquies and you ramble a little bit. Like, you know, you're, you're on the right path. You have a good message. You don't talk about things that are not wholesome or that don't have substance. And, you know, at least you get people excited to start the day. Like maybe you're a little tired sometimes and maybe you don't sound that excited yourself. But 
people enjoy listening to you in the mornings like and to see the growth that you've demonstrated before in the beginning i just used to announce songs you know and i share like a cute little winnie the pooh quote now like i have two three four minute rants about things that are not okay and like I did a rant yesterday about the service industry and I'm like, if your ass cannot pay on top of the service charge, then you should not be going out. You can't leave a $10 tip for someone that took extreme gracious care of you. Then you should not be going out. Don't go out. Done. You know? And it's like, I don't get those phone calls anymore in the middle of my soliloquies that I'm talking too much. Like people are letting me talk and people are like, we want to hear you more. Now for a message from our sponsors. We are brought to you by Empower You. Applying for college or moving abroad to the US, Canada, or the Netherlands? Not sure what school offers financial aid to Caribbean students? Looking for scholarship resources or just someone to talk to about the experience and get guidance? Check out Empower You. It's a nonprofit founded by yours truly with the values to empower, educate, and expand the opportunities for young Caribbean and minority students. Empower You offers college fact sheets, college application and resume proofreading and editing services, mentorship, and help with college applications or just figuring life out after high school. They secretly offer tutoring services too, but I didn't say that. All of their main services are free. For more information or if you're interested in donating to this fabulous organization, check out their website at empoweru.online. That's empoweru with the letter U, not the word, dot online. Yeah, I think it's important to talk about those kinds of issues because I don't think they get enough attention. Like I honestly, until you told me about it, like before we started recording, like I didn't know that the gratuity money wasn't actually going to the waitresses or the staff. Like for me, like when I as a as a consumer, you know, when I pay like I hate especially like for me I don't feel like I should have to tip if I feel like the service was not anything special like if it was just like I ordered takeout or I just like it was just subpar it was just you know whatever they weren't really paying attention to me I don't feel like I have to tip but for me like I looked at it from like well on the island like we have gratuity and the gratuity is our tipping mechanism and so I don't need a tip because well the company already put that as part of the bill. I know that my 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 the servers that are taking care of me are being taken care of through this gratuity. So I, as a consumer, does not need to tip on top of that. But what you're saying is the businesses now use that gratuity and they don't actually give it to the staff and they use it for other business expenses. And so you as the server yeah. are getting screwed. You know, you're getting screwed. And then here's the thing, right, is that they specifically put it plain and bold as service charge because most POS systems have the option where it's either service charge, gratuity, et cetera, et cetera. So, you know. Yeah. And we can even, like, put down on the bottom, like, suggested gratuity. So, like, if it's 18% and we calculate your bill, yeah. this is how much you'd have to leave. And they still, they still pass by it. They still ignore it. And then, you know, some Americans, they like, they ask questions because there are people that write horror story experiences on TripAdvisor and different travel blogs and they talk about it. And me, 
I know that's the one thing that certain employers of mine hated, but I'm always transparent. If someone asks me, how does it work? Do you get your service charged? What is it like? Is it a pool house? Like when you work in a pool house restaurant, typically all the servers at one point or another have passed your table, have touched your table, have served you at some point, some way. So their argument is, is like, it's a team experience. It's a team effort. Yeah. Um, but, but these, uh, in St. Martin, they, the Dutch law says that if any money is received during work is considered as salary and therefore it's taxable. So when the tax man started opening up the books of certain restaurants and started asking questions and when certain employers refused to pay the turnover tax, that's when they started doing this crackdown because me, I've been in the restaurant industry in St. Martin since 2010, 2011, whether it's working closely with my parents or working for my friend, my parents' friends, because they saw how good I worked, and they're like, okay, let me borrow your kid for a weekend, let me put her in my bar for a night. You know, I go in that bar one night, I'd walk home with 200 bucks in cash tips, I say thank you to everybody that I work with, and then I do it again the next weekend, or I do it one-off or two-offs, that's how I would make my money, and I was happy that way. But then coming back to the island in 2017, after before and after Irma, and then seeing already the difference on your pay stubs, and then asking, why am I getting taxed so much? Why am I getting taxed so much? And I don't have insurance. Okay. I understand that's you having insurance on me from while I'm working. Okay. But then why is this happening? Why do I have to wait six weeks for my tips? If I only work three days a week and why do I have to share my tips? If people say specifically that that's for me, you know, so all of these things, I was like the pain in the ass employee. See, I was the I'm one now, person that I'm just going to tip the person and forget leaving it Ooh, on the yeah. table. Cause it seems like that's oh, yeah. the better option. It should just give it to the person. Or, you know, or, you know, like me, I used to, I was notorious for being accused of um, having people give me money directly. So then they'd be like, Oh, you're stealing your tips. <laughs> that's There's a no crime. Checkbook. And I'm like, I'm like, literally, dude, I got fired because somebody tipped me in the bathroom and I got caught because they didn't leave like two or three bucks in the envelope for like $20. I lost my job. And I was like, it was worth it because the $20 that I got that day. Yeah, it carried me through. I used my last $2 to get to work, but I don't even know how much tips that I didn't receive or what was left for me. But because they said I was stealing, they forfeited all my tips, which was like three weeks worth of tips. I was like, whatever. Fuck you guys. By the way, for those of you listening, that's Amelia's restaurant. Do not tip the the people there. You tip them in person. You give it to them or you tell the person that was serving you, this is for so-and-so. I would like to make sure that they get their money. Because now they started doing that to us at Palapa. I'd have people be like, I left Haley $40. Please make sure that she gets the $40. And then my boss will go in the envelope, take out the $40 leave the rest of the money that was also left for the other people because of course they would tip more than just 40 they realize that it's not just one person it's a whole team effort then and then she'll make a show of it put the money in my shirt and i'm like oh my god times are changing it's a new day it's a new dawn like now people especially consumers they're starting to call people out about that like they're calling employers out about it on tripadvisor they're talking about it on blogs and i think if more people Yeah, it's good. I mean, it's shitty, but you feel good because you're, like, sticking it to your boss in a way. But also, you know that, like, you're you're pissing off other colleagues. And then sometimes your boss will be upset about that stunt and she'll not call you to work for, like, four days. And you're like, whatever, fuck it. You're making a point. You're proving the point here. 
you're making a stance. But I don't think like you should have to prove that point. I think people deserve to make a livable wage. And like if you're in a service industry and me as a customer, I want to tip this specific server. I, with my money, should have the right to do that. But you know, this because, uh, and like, it's so sad, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to paint a picture for you. And it's these people, they have this mentality, not so much the Americans, but definitely the Europeans. They have this mentality that they're coming to a banana republic, that they're a bunch of baboons. We are, but they're a bunch of baboons running each other and they don't know any better. So let me just give them opportunity and make them feel special and make them feel like they're part of my family that I look out for them while I'm paying them minimum wage, while I'm exploiting them left, right, and center. While I can see on an annual basis just how much money they've earned me, because when you have a POS system and you see all the checks of all the different people and how much money they brought in, you could see at the end of the year of the report, this server brought in $100,000 worth of sales. This server brought in $60,000. You know, it adds up. It adds up, especially after a high season. You're working. You got five shifts a yeah. time. You're getting 14 flights a day. You're feeling that traffic. You're feeling that energy. The money is circulating. Still, they keep everything here so that they can still be at the top 10, top 50% while everybody else is fighting for the scraps at the end. When I said to myself, I was like, I, I'm too smart to be killing myself this way. I'm like, kill my brain. Don't kill my body. I'm like, I have a brain. Use my brain. Yeah. Pay me more so I can look out for you and do this or do that. Because I would always be in this weird role where I'm responsible and I'm treated like a supervisor, but I'm not paid like a supervisor. I'm asked to do supervisor yeah. things and stay late, close, do cash and all those things. I'm trusted to take orders and to see vendors coming in and all, but I'm not getting paid that way. And then other people think that I'm like, I've had people call me blatantly. Oh, she's a manager at Palapa. And I'm like, I'm not a manager at Palapa. I work very closely with them and I work like them because I, it's like that love and respect that you have as if it's your own place. And then it kind of dawned on me one yeah. day that that's just the energy that you have as a business owner's child and working for your parents that like everywhere you go, you treat it like it's your own yeah, place. Yeah, you do more you work. You do more work. Exactly. You know, it's like if I see that my bartender is struggling and I'm in my beautiful dress and I'm in my stilettos, I'm going to go grab that fucking ice bucket. I'm going to go bring her some ice and then I'm going to ask her, okay, what else do you need help with? If I see that there's backups in certain areas, I, I insert myself there because I know how to do the work. And then I like maintain a flow. Like for me, it's about maintaining a flow of order. So if there's yeah. like if there's like twelve plates that are about to come up, right? And there's only one server, and the waitress for that server's table is also busy. Okay, I'm gonna go position myself at the pass. I'm gonna carry out two, three plates, maybe do one or two trips, and then I'm gonna go and see what's the next thing that needs to be done. Oh, there's a backup at the POS system. You need me to cash your bill? No problem. I'll start swiping different checks and credit cards. So that the flow of order is maintaining. And then that's where I get really offended because I'm like, okay, all these restaurants and these employers, they see that I can do so much, but then they don't give me more work to do because I'm fair skin and they're accused of not having enough diversity on their staff. So now all these different restaurants on the island are doing diversity hires and it's just in and out. New people are coming in. So I... I feel like now I've been here, what, 14 years, 2008 to 9, roughly 13, 14 years. I am a same partner now. You can't check me on that. Like, you can't ask me. So I feel like you know as much as what any of us like, exactly, know. You, know, you like, know what I mean? Like, I know the Constitution. I know the Sweet St. Martin song. I can tell you the dates of 
Like you've literally represented the country. And you know what the worst abroad part? Oh my God. And I'm so glad you said that, right? The Duo website still uses my face on their home screen to apply for scholarships now. And you think the St. Martin government would have given me something for all the representation and all the competitions of them. No, 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 no. No, no. no. I mean, they don't care. They've entertained the idea of giving me a grant, but then it's only contingent on me coming back here. And I was like, you know what? That's fine. I don't mind coming back here. But you would think, right? Okay, let me do my due diligence and see if this child is actually Dutch and see if she can qualify for duo before I use her likeness and her image. Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna rant about that on my radio show one of these days. Like I'm gonna probably call someone. You know, I I I remember I was on that wave with like different politicians where we were championing to try to get scholarships and grant opportunities for students that have lived on St. Martin, were born here, but because their parents weren't Dutch, weren't entitled to Dutch rights. Because here the law is if you don't have a, a Dutch parent or a Dutch national as a parent. Um, and you were born here, you have to wait until you're 18 to uh, get your Dutch passport. And then when you're 18 and you uh, qualify for your Dutch passport, they give you the most impossible runaround to actually get this passport. You have to pay like 1,800 guilders. You have to do a Dutch exam, like all of that. But in high school, if you did your Dutch Cambridge exam, you bypass that. But it's it's all of these things that they put in place for you just so that you get that maroon passport in the end. And it's like, it shouldn't be that difficult. Children that like weren't from here but lived here and spent their time here have more national pride and love than they do the ones that were born and raised here, lived in the society, come from parents that come from great families. You know what I mean? So I feel like that would be a great thing and a cause for St. Martin because I would I would be the face of that. I was like, I'm prepared to be your your social experiment. You St. Martin's a melting pot though like I don't understand like for me it's like I don't I don't understand how anybody could say anyone is really not a St. Martiner when like I feel like the only people that can consider themselves like real 100% pure Nesweligans are the natives that live on our land which there are not many of them left if at all like there are very few people that say yes i have arrow you know like arrow arrow of amerindian, amerindian blood. blood and then you can exactly. see it in them too you know? so it's like who the hell yeah exactly and it's like nobody else really has the right to say you don't belong here when our island is literally an island of immigrants whether forced immigration or you know voluntary immigration like we are literally a land of cultures from americans to other caribbean islanders to europeans to africans to whatever you know what i mean like we are a land of so many people and yet you would think given all of our diversity we would be super inclusive and we're not like there's a lot of ignorance and a lot of hate and it's sad that bruise because we're like you know we're like the very sad we're the caribbean version of the melting pot of like what the united states is we have over 207 different yeah. nationalities over 100 different languages are spoken here and still there's no like um like seriousness or there's no um thought that's put into place to like maintain and to protect this different multiculturalism that's going on nope we don't even celebrate our own local heroes like we aren't taught same in history we aren't taught who are the people that matter who are the voices that built our country like i didn't even know for the longest while that americans built our airport yeah 
and it's like okay but we're hating on them but they like built our first airport like there's so much that we should be grateful for but again we're not taught anything of our history and culture like i know more about america and america's figures and america's culture than i do about my own country which is very very sad you know it's so funny you said that because i feel like i had that so ingrained in my head up until the age of like 13 14 and then when i stopped going to private school and i actually went to local school and i had that flip learning like caribbean history and as much local history as you get in one local like syllabus i was like oh okay so the propaganda machine has been working really hard with this one you know because like for me it was really evident when they would start teaching you about cuba in a caribbean high school and then how they teach you about cuba in an american high school and it's very sentimental and personal for me because i'm like yo my family is from there i know the history I could tell you through and through what yeah. it is and what it isn't. So where I, where it like kind of like gave me that like epiphany moment was when my Caribbean high school teachers would echo that Cuba is socialist. I was like, oh, so you guys actually do know what you're talking about. And then that's kind of like where I started questioning everything that I learned from the States and then what I learned here. And I'm like, okay, so definitely they do make an importance on independence and civil war and all days that I don't I just know our independence day is officially July 4th. Don't ask me what year. Don't ask me who was there. I don't even know anymore. Like that, you know, like when you when you stop using American it, history was like my I hated that class. It was so boring. There was too much bloodshed. I was like, y'all need to stop killing folk. Okay, this is ridiculous. Okay, ridiculous. It's like I'm sure if I had to subconsciously like get asked figures and what year was Martin Luther King born what year does this happen that like it will come to me but like i totally like i fucked out like i feel i mean it's just there's so much to know in the world now like how are you as anybody expected to know every single moment of every single individual's life like it's ridiculous you know people forget things it's totally fine but I'm curious, like, do you identify more as an American or as a St. Mariner? Because, like, when I think of an American, I think of, like, Will. And, like, Will is very much American. But to me, like, I don't see American in you. Like, I always thought you were an island girl. I it's swear. Weird. Like, I feel very Anglo-Saxon at heart in certain ways with certain things and certain upbringings and what I experienced in my household. Like, um... I like the luxury and the comfort and the amenities that Americans look for. Like, yeah, I look for that shit all the time. Don't tell me that I have to get my water out of a basin. Don't tell me that I have to take, no, no, no. You know, like not having a dishwasher still like 15 years later still breaks my heart. You know, when I see friends on the island that have dishwashers now, I'm like, oh shit, you're stepping up, man. It's time for me to step up now, too. Yeah. You know, because, like, me, I grew up with an insinuator in my sink, okay? Like, I was taught, okay, left yeah. side, put food scraps, right side, dirty plates. You wash the dirty plates, put it in the dishwasher. Coming here, not having that. Do you know how many times we've clogged our sink? <laughs> like, first three years, like, it was hell for us. It was hell during dishes and being in a household of, like, five people. And then they would wait until the end of the night for you to do the dishes. I want to do that. But... To get back to your question, like, I, f I am, I like to think of myself as a, a child of the Dutch kingdom without actual rights. I like to think that I've spent more time living between Holland and St. Martin than I have in the United States. Because, like, 
we would go back to the United States as like reset periods, you know, like, okay, this didn't work out. Let's go back, figure it out, put the kids in school, do this, do that. Or, okay, this relative is sick. Let's go back so that we could be closer to this relative before they pass. So like the first two times that we would go back to the States was because like, I remember my grandparents on my mom's side were sick and they were ill. And then the last time we went back, it's because my mom was like, okay, I'm done. I don't want to be in Holland anymore. I don't want to try a new venture. I don't want to do this. So why I was just always taught that I was American, but I'm multicultural American. I have a Dutch father. I have a Cuban mother. We speak three, four languages at home, you know, like seeing the world here, you've seen the world there. So it's weird. I, I don't know. I consider myself a global citizen. That's the answer. Yeah, I think that's a good way to identify. That's a good way to identify yourself because I feel like for you, especially, it's hard to put you in one bucket when like you really don't fit any of them. You know, you're you and you have your unique life experiences. Like anytime I think back to like even when my dad or like my mom like grew up on the like, well, spent time on the island because they weren't born on the island either. But I just always think like to go to St. Martin at any point point and to have exp- like live life there is an extraordinary it experience really is. as much as there are things that suck for sure like just living on that island it, it is there's things that you can do that you really can't do anywhere else and it's just like being able to go to Tintamar and just like camp on Tintamar or like being able to just take a boat to Anguilla and like go to the different beaches there and have like the best food in the world every day. There's so much culture. Being able to go dive down. Yeah, there's so much culture, even though it's suppressed in, in some avenues. There's so much culture and there's so much beauty to the people and the kinds of experiences that you can have, like going to St. Bart's, going to Stabuff, seeing all of these things, meeting all of these different people. It is incredible. Like you have friends whose parents own chains of hotels. You have friends whose parents, you know, work in some of the best fine dining restaurants. There's just so many different people with so many different stories that it is just like, I am so grateful to be from St. Martin and it breaks my heart to see the island struggling because it's like all I've ever wanted like I'm sure like you've seen like this is for the island to be better you know for our politicians to do better and you know it's I feel like our generation is going to be the generation that instills that change and you already see that it's kind of starting to happen and little by little as people renounce power and they let people come in you'll see that change but definitely being here living here experiencing being here like the life that I've lived here especially as a teenager I will never have gone anywhere else in the world I would have never been able to do an inkling of the things that I've done here because in the states there's so much competition you know like I was in performing arts school before I came down here like I was being groomed to be a performer whether it was like fine arts or playing an instrument or something like that was the path that I ultimately was going to take and I was probably going to do like a writing-based career maybe end up doing news or journalism at some point. But that's kind of like the, the spearhead that I was leading. And then to come here and to kind of like get knocked off of my equilibrium and to not play my instruments anymore and to do a complete 180, I still had a much more fruitful experience in time here than I would have been the States. Like to do the things that I did in the community here, to have traveled with you and our friends and to have done the opportunities and things that we've done. Big, big, big things, big deals. And I think, I think yeah. it being in St. Martin also 
it kind of made it possible for me to do what I'm doing now, being on the radio. I wouldn't have been able to do that in the States. I would not have been able to accomplish that in the States without a college degree. I probably would have been working my way up. I probably would have had to attach myself to a group of creatives and get discovered that way. But to have it all happen organically, you know, or to just kind of like feel like it fell in my lap a little bit. Like I definitely went through imposter syndrome for a while there. I was questioning all the opportunities that I would get. Like, am I deserving of this? Or is this happening because of my face? Or is this happening because of the last name? Like, what did I do to earn this? And then I also was like, no, I think after a while of going through so much grit and working hard and wanting more for yourself and not knowing how to get there, sometimes the universe way presents you with opportunities yeah and it's up to you whether or not you're going to seize it and a lot of people thought i was super ballsy when i went through with this radio show where i was like i want this i'm going to do this this is what i want to do you should be ballsy people man. were like what like, are you life is too short to not be ballsy like I, you've always been ballsy like ever since i've known you Haley is the one that's gonna do whatever the hell she wants and she is gonna do it like and, you know, i never <laughs> she'll make it I work i never saw myself like that i just saw myself as a, like i'm not gonna take no for an answer you tell me, sorry, I'm not going to give you $50 so you can get your prom dress. I'm going to be like, okay, no problem. I'll get a side job so that I can make money to get my prom. No, you, you know? always surprised me. Like, always. I was always like, this girl is crazy, man. She's, I was like, she's just leaving. She's just leaving us. She's just going to I'm New done. York. Like, she's just like, bye. bye. See you guys. Done. Checking out. And she went and she did it. And like, I was like, look at her. Like, like, crazy. I was like, so oh. many people were angry. But I think we need ballsy so- people in the world, though. We need ballsy people in the world. People that just don't care. Like, go live your life. Like, life is too short and i feel like i i'm glad that you are not one of those people that lets like oh how is my life supposed to be based on like what other people say get you down because i think life is not supposed to be linear i think it's supposed to be crazy the whole way like that is how we're supposed to live i think society modern society makes it seem like life is supposed to be linear because we've had like kind of control of shit for a couple hundred years but no life is supposed to be crazy it's supposed to be lived all over the world meeting you know people having unique experiences and like you're doing that you know and I think that's so awesome to see like you like uh, American just went to the island with her family and like literally like you I I really would consider you a part of the community like i did not know that you were like I knew you had an American passport but I didn't know you weren't from there and I think like to be able to move around the world and adapt and really like engage with the culture as deeply as you do that's what I hope all people that come to St. Martin experience and are able to have because I think like when you're a tourist like you're not seeing the island completely you're seeing like one face of her um but there's more to St. Martin than that you know there's more to her than that and I think like you got to see that and I think that's that's really special you know I definitely feel like I'm not so caught up in that like matrix per se like how some people here are and I've been very um fortunate to uh, come across people that have met that have came here for a vacation fell in love with the place, decided they're going to take the leap of faith and then move here. And then those same people that I've met serving them become like my closest friends. And I even call some of them my best friends. And they inspire me to like, just keep going forward because yeah, like some days are hard, you know, like, okay, if you don't get a certain, like if they don't get a gig 
and if they don't play X amount of times per week, they're not going to make their money and then they're going to just be shit out of luck for a week. But they don't like allow that to keep them down. Whereas some local people, they're just so downtrodden because it's already so difficult, but they don't think, you know, how to be outside the box. and They don't see how to be like creative. But then I also like realized too that it's a big energy thing. And I used to feel like I had this like cloud that would follow me wherever I'd go, like to the point where I'd be like, oh, Haley's coming, run and hide. And you never want to be that person in that group where people feel that way. Yeah. So I definitely did like a lot of self-work. Like I'd spend a lot of weekends at Top Carrot and learning about crystals and holistic things and cleansing your energy. And then I like started to think, okay, what you put out is how people like, you know, receive you. And sometimes your energy introduces you yeah. before you even get a chance to open your mouth. So then I'd be like, okay, let me put a little more pep in my step. Let me practice more gratitude let me look at the beautiful things and be thankful for what i have instead of just being like oh shit it's another day oh i feel like crap i'm experiencing a lot of um, inflammation from my lupus or oh i just don't want to be yeah you know so it definitely it took a long time and some days um, i get caught up in that like oh i don't want to be bothered life sucks and then i'm like no life doesn't suck you're Haley grail go out there and seize the fucking day and go inspire people like yeah. after making a year on the radio like what i tell people now like i just want to inspire them, you know like if i can inspire you to do something good with yourself if i make you feel like you want to change your life after talking to you then i'm doing something right and i'm further like following my exactly. brand a mission about what i want to do because yeah. before you know that's awesome i, I felt like i kind of like had to hide a little bit about myself and like how awkward and authentic and quirky i am but like now that's kind of like my thing on the radio and, and I get to own it. So I get to be myself and I get to be a little bit more animated and, you know, people call me honey now and they don't use Haley anymore. And they talk to me about the things they heard on my show and we like really spark real creative arguments. And I call them arguments. I would go and sit at bars and just talk to people and drink and then have so much content creation and like ideas for my show. And then I talk about it on yeah. my show. So, you know, like, that's kind of, like, what my life is now, and I'm happy. I My wallet is a little tight at the moment, of course, but I am living the dream, and uh, nothing happens overnight. To see, like, how far you've come has been really inspiring, even for me, like, to see you find something Thank where you, you can really, like, yeah, be yourself and show people that quirky side of Haley. because I got to see her, especially, like, spending so much time together in teen times and debate, like, you grow close to people and it's like, yeah, sure, we butt heads from time to time, but it's mutual. Like, I feel like that's what happens with girls. And we were <laughs> like, in very stressful like, environments. irritate each other. We were in stressful environments. Exactly, very stressful. There would be times where we all would feel like one person isn't pulling their weight. And of course, like every time we had a debate competition, I'd like check out and be like, oh, Nick is here. Okay, checking out. Bye, guys. You know, like that was how I was. Like, I didn't give a shit. And then they would, of course, like, it would cause tension and it would make people be like, oh, you got to do more. You got to do this. Stop being distracted. But like, all, like, when I look back and like, I think of you, like, you were always like someone there. And that makes me feel comforting. Like, having this, being able to talk on this podcast today, being able to reconnect as adults, it's so like fulfilling for me. Because I always be like, oh, I wonder how Harsh is doing. Oh, my God. Harsh is at Microsoft. She's doing this. She's doing that. Like, I just be like sending good vibes yes like keep doing that you know oh because dude you're i think you're the first person from st martin to land a job that you have i think you're the first person from st martin to end up at the microsoft campus that's a big deal 
It's a pretty fucking I big mean, deal. yeah, I it is like it it is weird because it's like when people ask me like how I got here, I can't explain it because I didn't even know I was gonna be here. Like I had no my plan was not to work at Microsoft. Like I for me, because I grew up in the Caribbean and I think a lot of, you know, Caribbean people feel like have this experience is like when you go abroad to study for many of us you can't stay in the country that you studied in and so for me I really like most of my life I always thought I would have to go back to the island and I never really knew what the hell I was gonna do on the island because of the fact of like yeah like there aren't jobs really for people like me you know on St. Martin like there were like I've never met an engineer on the island oh and you know like the worst part is my entire existence it's like you'll meet engineers that are from St. Martin but they don't live in St. Martin they got their job they stayed the company picked them up they paid for their papers you know like they made they paved their way exactly that's why the the Caribbean is experiencing such an intense brain drain because nobody wants to come it home. is it's really bad it really home. is really bad and then when you come back you're told but it's like also what is there to come back to you know what i mean like oftentimes they'll be like oh like our students don't come back but it's like well like you mentioned like what what are you gonna pay me my worth probably not you know are you even gonna listen to what i say probably not i feel like even when i when we were you know in teen times and we would go to events and have to speak about the issues that the youth wanted addressed even then they wouldn't take us seriously and i felt like you know maybe once i have a degree they'll finally listen to what i have to say but they don't they don't like literally that one politician said millennials were the worst thing to ever happen to our government. And I laughed because I was like, bro, like wait till Gen Z actually enters the chat and you have to face people like me and you that aren't going to sit down and let you just talk bullshit into my ear. You know what I mean? People that actually have sense and knowledge and you can't just bullshit your way through the conversation because, well, honey, now you've met your exactly. match. You and know it's what so I mean? funny because like, there'll be some politicians that like if we're invited to a panel or we're there to cover it they'll get chills when they see me walk by and then they ask me are you talking today and I'm like no I'm not talking I'm just observing I'm like okay okay good because they know that like the same things that we used to echo when we were in teen times and we were calling them out is the same problems that we still talk about today and yeah like thank god we have people like Ralph and and other local like fellow teen timers that call these people out because I know that like when my platform begins to really serve me and I can start really championing the things that I want to champion. Like I'm going to like education is going to be a big thing that I talk about. I've, I sat down in these classes, these local kid classes. I've, I've been like, Hey, can I sit in on my sister's English class and see how you guys do things? And the way the foundation compared to them and compared to what I received in the United States, I'd go home and I'd be so angry. I'd be angry about the circumstance. I'd be angry about the situation, angry that I can't pay to send my siblings to private school so that they could receive the education that I received in the States. And mind you, I didn't go to private school in the States like that. I I went to public school that was funded by the government. And because we had the best FCAT scores, you know, the government would pump money into that school because obviously you're doing something money into the school. Yeah. They don't do that. Yeah. You know, they don't. And I said to myself, I was like, wow, if I could, create a program to get kids excited about English, to get them excited about reading. You know, if I could be a teacher's aide for a year and make a difference. And then you realize that there's so many people that have tried to make an impact and, and you can't, you can't change the culture here. 
They're like, if it's not broken, why fix it? Uh, it is broken. Because it is broke and it needs to be fixed tremendously. And it's like, it, it blows my mind because like, yes, there are success stories. And yes, there are students from St. Martin that do go abroad. They do get their degree. They go get great jobs. But what happens to the kids that don't have all of that? The kids that have single parent households, kids that are being neglected, kids that are not don't have parents that are going to pay for them to go to school. Those are the kids that you need to be concerned about. Not the kids that have parents that are going to be able to send them abroad. No, no, no. You need to worry about the kids that are struggling they need the most help they need the most love they need the most support and I feel like oftentimes they get like just ignored or brushed aside and then you wonder like why people are unhappy why people are stealing why people do drugs why you know like why people are so miserable and upset like a serious metamorphosis needs to take place because the problem that we experience here is that it all starts with the household right and here, if you don't have a, a nuclear system where mommy and daddy are home, there's dinner on the table by seven and you can talk about everything that happens. You're not getting that sense of like family. You're not getting that sense of emotional intelligence, like the things yep. that you needed. Like me, my, my parents, they, they didn't check in on my feelings. They weren't asking me if I'm okay, if I'm on the verge of committing academic suicide. No, 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 no. They, they're like, oh, okay, I can't work the bar tonight. I need you to go to the bar after school. And then after that, I need you to come home and make dinner for the kids. Like, the first time that my parents really started checking in on my mental health was like, quinceanera happened. And I got into a fight with my dad and just because my dad called me stupid in the morning. And I was like carrying that anger all day. And then I at like six, seven o'clock at night, we're talking about my party. And he just said, he called me stupid again, or he said something that triggered me. And I said, I'm not stupid, damn it. Do you know how much y'all make me do and this and that? And I don't think a stupid person could do this, 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 and that. And oh, like my parents were like, oh my God, we're so sorry that we haven't been like checking in on you to see how you're doing, if you're okay. You know, like my parents, we had a really good relationship in the States and we would talk about everything. But then when we came here, it was like, okay, Haley, we gotta do this, we gotta do that. So now as an adult, my parents take the time to like check in on me and check in on my mental health and be like, are you okay? Are you slowing down? Are you paying attention to your lupus? Are you listening to your body? Are you doing this because you want to do this? Or are you doing this because you feel like you have to prove a point to the, like, oh, these are the things that they ask me now. These were things that they never yeah. asked me as a child. They're like, are you happy? Is Haley happy? And I'm like, I don't know. I like to think that I'm happy, but then I'm realizing yeah. like, you know life isn't as cliche like that like life is about the pursuit of happiness you're not always going to be happy all the time and then when I tell my parents that they're like oh shit you're so fucking wise man like to hear you at 24 say that to me and I'm like 50 like okay I did something good with you like I didn't do right but I did good with you yeah for sure and I think it's important so how can like how can people connect with you and like find out more about your radio show or at least like keep up with what you're doing and where you will go next you know if you do leave Seymourne and you go I don't, I don't know I back don't know. to America I think back I'm to the Netherlands wherever for a couple more years because I do have to put the time in at the radio station it's not like I'm just gonna grow and then leave like no I I do think that I might be groomed to become assistant yeah. manager in the next year or two yeah because it's like I, I am there all the time I do pay attention like if there's a malfunction in the studio and my boss and my other colleague isn't around. Like, I'm the next person they call. So, uh, yeah, but my social media, everything is Honey on the Radio. 
You can find me on Instagram, Facebook. My social media presence is very weak, but like the important things I do highlight, like I do mention them. And um, yeah, keep up to date with what I'm going to do. Maybe soon you'll see me doing more podcasting work. I, I know that I definitely want yeah. to get into that. We need to build a community, you know, because there's so much great stories we can share about the Caribbean and they don't get enough attention. And I am I refuse to accept people that are like, oh, well, people on the island don't listen to podcasts, won't get into it. I think the people that want to listen to it will. And if, you know, I'm not going to let that stop me, I'm not you shouldn't let that stop you. You know what I mean? I feel like the universe will lead you the right way. Yeah, like the universe definitely has a great way of steering you to where you need to go. You just may not understand it while it's happening and as it's happening. But for me, for sure, like every time I'm like confused and I like I fall down, I'm like, okay, universe, what's the plan? What are we doing now? How are we going to conquer the world today, Pinky? You know, like that's how I am. And um, yeah, I a lot of big stuff is definitely going to start happening in radio. Hopefully I can start doing more videos. So look out for that. And definitely more collaborative and synergizing with fellow colleagues like Ralph and Sakir and Kristen. You can look out for more of that too, because that's coming. And with you too. Like I, when whenever you want to do something, whenever I plug you in on my radio on my platform, you let me know. Because I I know you're still doing big stuff too with Empower You, and Aww. you just started your scholarship program, which is amazing. Be trying, man. Be trying. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Chatterbox. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to show your support by subscribing to this podcast and leaving us a review. Follow us on Instagram at the.chatterbox for teasers.